Hey, good morning. Uh, we're not going to have uh, any uh, slides uh, on the screen. Uh, that didn't work like super well last week. So, um, so we, we've got Bibles here. Um, and so we're not going to have the text on the screen. Also, if you'd like a Bible, we have uh, some people that are going to pass those out. So if you'd like one, just go ahead and raise your hand and I'll open it with prayer and um, we'll, try to, um, we'll try to get you guys served. So if you want a Bible, all right, let me go ahead and pray. All right, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, for, for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for the book of Hebrews and the message that he is greater. Uh, he is greater than everything. So um, I pray that... Um, that uh, would find its way into our hearts and our minds, and we'd have a greater confidence and a greater faith as a result of it. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And uh, we do have Bibles in the back. If you want one, you can raise your hand. If not, uh, we got one up here, um, uh, and uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to get you a Bible. So if, uh, if you were to uh, build your own house from scratch, I want you to think for a moment uh, that if you were able to just build a house, money was no object, uh, object at all. What kind of house would you build? Uh, what would be the dominant features of that house? Maybe for you, uh, it's the kitchen, right? And, and you love to bake and you love to cook and your family kind of gathers in the kitchen. And for you, a professional grade chef's kitchen uh, sounds incredible. And you'd put everything into the kitchen. Maybe for you, you're a media junkie and you like watching uh, movies with your family. So the idea of a theater room or really, really big screen uh, TV and the, the best surround sound and all that. Maybe that sounds really good to you. Uh, maybe for you, it's your bathroom and uh, you'd have a spa bathroom, best shower money can buy, uh, best tub money can buy. And you'd go up there and you'd close the door and lock it so your kids can't get in. And you'd light some candles and you'd come out like five hours later, right? Uh, I know one family, I know of a family uh, up in Michigan that actually had this opportunity uh, to build uh, their dream house and money wasn't really much of an object. And, and the family uh, loved basketball. And, and so they put a basketball court in their house, um, an indoor basketball court. And it, it, was, it was awesome. For me, uh, if I, money were not an object and I, I could just do whatever, um, I would love to put in a massive, huge pool. And I know what everybody says, and you can tell me later, it's going to drive down property value or whatever. It's going to be hard to sell, but we love pools. My family does. Um, I'm, a, I'm a lap swimmer. I, I'd love to get back to that. My son, Sam's a water bug. Cheryl loves to swim. We don't know about Lila, but she'll probably like to swim too. Um, uh, it's just something we love to do. Now, this becomes the dominant illustration of the text that we're going to look at today. And so I want to ask you a question and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll table it and maybe come back to it in a, little bit, a little bit later. But if God were going to build uh, a house, what do you think the dominant feature of God's house would be? If God were building a house, what would that house look like? What would it be like? What would be the highest priority for God uh, in, in a house that he is, is building? And that's the theme of Hebrews 3, all right? Hebrews 3. And we're going to kind of uh, set that illustration aside just for a minute because we need to do some digging together uh, for the foundation of the house that we're going to build called the sermon. And uh, then, then we're going to come back to it in just a few moments. But Hebrews uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything." 
Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to, to what would be spoken of about God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over the house. And we are his house. We are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Right? Your heading of, of your text in Hebrews is probably the same uh, in your Bible as it is in mine, and it's that Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, that is not to say Moses wasn't great, right? Moses absolutely was great. So let's spend just a few moments considering the greatness of Moses. Did you know that Moses in, uh, is mentioned more times uh, than even Abraham in the New Testament? Moses is referenced more times than even Abraham. That Moses wrote more of the Bible than anyone. And, and in addition to that, think about how God used Moses uh, throughout, throughout his time on earth to be a blessing to his people. How when God's people were in slavery, they were in Egypt, they had gone there during a time of famine to get food, and they just kind of stayed there. And one day a Pharaoh came about and saw all of God's people there and said, man, this is like free labor. And so he put them into slavery, and it was a hard, terrible existence. If you were an Israelite living in Egypt during the time of that Pharaoh, your, your whole job was baking bricks until your back would give out or your shoulders would give out. And then according to history, many times when you couldn't produce anymore, they just killed you. And God saw his people in slavery and he ended up wanting to free them. And he had to raise up somebody to go in and help him free, free the people. And the person he raised up was Moses, right? Of all the people on the earth, the person God raised up to help free his people to be a servant in that way was Moses. And Moses didn't understand why, because he wasn't a good public speaker. He didn't feel like he was a good leader. He didn't understand it. But after some... Uh, twisting of his arm, he chose to be faithful. <laughs> I don't want to romanticize him. It required a little twisting, but he chose to be faithful and he chose to go. And God delivered his people from slavery through a series of plagues uh, on Pharaoh. Fi Pharaoh finally let the people go and God used Moses to accomplish that. Moses was his servant. And then the people are in the desert and they're getting established as a nation and, uh, and they're trying to learn how to be a nation where God is your ultimate leader. That just looks different. So God says, man, if you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God, man, you got, you got to know what my expectations are. You got to know what it looks like to be holy, to be different than your neighbors. So he gives them the law. Right? And we have a hard time understanding how countercultural these laws were because our law system here and in our country is kind of based on some of these. But you shall have no other gods before me. That was hugely countercultural because almost every culture around Israel worshiped multiple gods. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? They had just come out of slavery where they had no Sabbath. Right, where, where all they did was work. Um, and, and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? They'd worked all day long and now, now they're getting rest. God says this nation is gonna be different as you enjoy Sabbath rest. Uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. These were all kind of counter-cultural things from, from the nations around them. And in a very famous passage, God said to the people through Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talking about the law. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God knew that the law was good that the law was going to bring life. The law was going to help his people. So he developed this multi-generational mindset of passing the law down from generation to generation. But here's my question. Who did God choose? Of all the people in Israel, of all the people around, who did God choose to go up on that mountain and receive his law? Moses. He chose Moses to do that. Right? And Moses chose to be God's servant. And then it comes time to enter the promised land. And Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land because he didn't, he hadn't been obedient to God, um, separate story for a separate sermon. But when it came time for the people to be prepared to enter the promised land, when it came time for a new leader to be anointed, God chose Moses for the planning and preparation and to hand it off to Joshua. And the people did eventually enter that land. It was a huge blessing for them, but God used Moses to make that transition and get everything uh, organized. So the Mishnah says about, about Moses uh, in the Old Testament, none in Israel is greater than he. Whoa. You imagine that having that on your tombstone? There was no one in America greater than, put your name in there. <laughs> right? can, you, can you imagine that being said? By, this is what the Mishnah says about Moses, that none in Israel is greater than he. So you can see how important he was in the biblical story, the biblical narrative. But notice what is said about him in our scripture today. And I've tried to kind of mirror this language. Here's what it says. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Moses was an incredible servant. He was a great servant. He made a difference in, in, in the life of his people during his time. But Moses at the end of the day was just a servant, All right. He was, at the end of the day, he was a, a servant, right? He was a great servant, fabulous, made, it, made huge contributions to the world. God made a difference through him, but at the end of the day, he was a great servant, but at the end of the day, Moses was a servant. Now, it's probably time to go back to our original question. What kind of, if you're God building a house, what kind of house do you build? Our text tells us in verse 6. It says, Christ, chapter three, verse six, Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we, we are his house. We are his house. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory, we are the house that God is building. And here's the truth about, here's what makes Jesus so different than Moses. Moses was a great servant, but the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the son over the whole thing. So God is building a house, that house is us, and Jesus is in charge of the house. And so you see this idea all throughout the scriptures that God is trying to build a people and a place where he is their God and they are his people. At the very beginning of the Bible, it's a garden. That's the dominant image. It's a garden where God builds this garden. He makes it beautiful. He, builds, he, he creates a man and he creates a woman and he puts them in this garden. He says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And we're going to have that kind of relationship. And then of course, sin enters the world and then they have to leave the garden. And then we move from garden to nation. 
That eventually nation becomes the dominant image, that God kind of builds this nation. He says to that nation, you are going to be my people and I am going to be your God. So you're going to look, the word he uses is holy. You're going to look different from the people around you. You are not to be profane, which biblically is the opposite of holiness. It's profanity. It's to look just like everybody else. And most of your, your, your Old Testament is consumed with this idea of the nation. And then as the New Testament rolls around, the image changes again. And it changes to this family language, this home language that Jesus is born. He becomes a man. He offers grace and forgiveness to all people. And he offers us the opportunity to be adopted into God's family. That through Jesus, we get invited into the house. And that is an amazing thing. That through Jesus, we get invited into the house. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says, is that when you enter into that house, Jesus is now over the whole thing. So as Christians, we understand this. That as a Christian, we have entered the house, and now Jesus is over us, that he is in charge. In other words, we follow him. We love him. We obey him. We understand he is over the whole thing. He is over us and in charge of us. And this is, an, this is the argument that we'll unpack for uh, the next couple of weeks. But Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses was a servant and Jesus is the son. Moses was a servant to the house. Jesus is a son over the whole thing. And I think this family home metaphor really works because if you own a home, uh, there are jobs that you just plain, you hire out, right? If you're anything like me, some of you will just try anything. There's stuff I hire out because I don't have the expertise. So several years ago, um, our washing machine downstairs, uh, it you know, pushes the water in, into, the, into the system to get out of the house. And there were some tree roots that had gotten into our pipes. And so the water started to be pushed out. It hit the tree roots and it came back in our basement. And so we started noticing that our basement flooded uh, every time that we did laundry. It took me an uncomfortably long period of time to put the two together. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I should have connected the dots a little sooner than that. But every time we did laundry, we got water into our basement. And so we called in a plumber. I'm not touching this, right? We called in a plumber. And it ended up being this complicated ordeal where our pipes were caving in. The front of my lawn needed to be excavated. They brought a, they brought a tractor and started digging up my front lawn. Um, to replace the, the, these, these pipes. And there was a ton of decisions that needed to be made. Let me tell you what didn't happen. The plumber and the excavators, they didn't just start doing that work. They didn't. They didn't just come over to my house and just start digging without my permission. Because they understand this principle in this text. They are the worker. Cheryl and I are the owner. Right? So the owner decides if the lawn's going to be dug up. The owner decides what work is going to be done. The owner calls the shots. Moses is a servant in the house. Jesus is the son over the whole thing. So I described to you this early, earlier, but I, kinda, I want you to understand this because I think it's so important. You and I, we have been served by Moses. Right? Don't think I'm trashing on Moses here. That he's just a servant or whatever. You and I, we have been served by Moses in a very profound way. That because of Moses, because of his faithfulness, Surely, sure, God could have raised somebody else up if Moses said no, but I want you to kind of go with me on this for just a minute. That because of Moses' faithfulness, Israel received the law. And so through the law, we, because God gave the law to, to Moses, we understand so much about what God is like and what God cares about. More importantly than that, through the law, we are able to recognize Jesus 
who the Bible says is the law become flesh. So if you ever want to know what God's law is like, look to Jesus. Jesus lives it out perfectly. And so because uh, the law was given to Moses and because Israel received it, and eventually we, we have it as well, we are able to recognize Jesus. We have been served by Moses. We have been served by Moses' faithfulness to lead God's people out of slavery and uh, to eventually become a nation. I know God did that, but he did it through Moses, and we have been served by that because that nation was eventually formed. They did become a people, and years and years later, someone was born to that nation named Jesus. And he is our ulti- the, the person we've ultimately uh, changed all of human history. But we have been served by Moses' faithfulness to do that. In addition, Moses teaches us lessons like, Moses teaches us lessons like we might not feel good enough or strong enough or smart enough, but if we will choose faithfulness, God can do amazing things in us and through us. Moses teaches us that lesson. Moses teaches us a ton about the holiness of God. And there's a ton of stories I could point you to on this. Um, I'll, I'll lead you to one where there, there's a story um, where, where God says, where Moses says, man, God, I want to see your glory. You and I, we, we've done so many things. You've done so many things through me, God. I, I want to see your glory. And God says, no, you don't. No, no you don't. Moses said, no, I really do. He said, no, you, you, if you were to see my face, Moses, you would die. Right? You, you're a sinful person. So if you were to see uh, my, my face, then you would, would die. And, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. No one can see my face and live. And then the Lord said, but there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. Consider just for a moment the glory of God in that story. That Moses said, man, I really want to see your glory of God. I really want to see your glory, God. God's like, I, I, I can't allow that, but here's what I can do. Put your face in the rock. I'll cover your face with my hand so you got no pixies, Right? I don't want you peeking because you're going to die if you peek. So I'm going to cover your face. And then when I get by you, you can turn and you can kind of see my back, but not my, my face. And through Moses, we learn about this. There's a lot of stories like that. Him receiving the law is another story like this. We see the holiness and majesty of God in a small sliver. Moses has served the house well. He has. I want you to see you have been served by Moses' faithfulness but Jesus is the son. And he has been appointed as leader and Lord over us. This makes him greater. You know what the text says? This means that we should fix our eyes and our thoughts on Jesus because he's greater. And this is the thing. You're gonna maybe uh, start to grow tired of hearing that phrase again and again in this series. But for the first several chapters of Hebrews, it's the greatness and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. And then it starts to turn and it begins to talk about our faithfulness because the writer of Hebrews knows that when we serve a great Jesus, we have a great faith. So for some of us, our we, we are doubting and our confidence is low. We'll talk about this more in a minute. We need to lift Jesus higher so our confidence can be greater. And so the writer of Hebrews will begin to tell us some things about the son, about the one who is over the whole thing. He says about Jesus, he is our apostle. 
that he is our apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent with a specific task, all right? So the other day, uh, I was holding Lila on the couch, all right? I'm gonna start to work in some Lila stories right now, all right? I need to start doing that. Some of you have asked for that. So, um, so I, I was sitting on the couch holding her, and Cheryl had made a bottle in the kitchen, and so we needed to get the bottle from kitchen to me. And so we asked Sam, big brother, will you bring, will you bring me the bottle? And he loves to help. Said, Absolutely. So he grabs, grabs the bottle and he comes. Sam's an apostle right then. He's been sent on a specific task to bring the bottle from mom to dad. He, he, he's an apostle in that moment. So what was Jesus's task when he came? Well, Jesus told us what his task was, and there are a lot of things you could say, but the, the thing Jesus talked a lot about was that he came and he established God's kingdom, God's house, and he preached and modeled what it was look like, what it was look, what it would look like to live in God's home, God's kingdom, where he where God is our God and we are his people. Jesus wanted to preach and model what this looks like. And so Jesus teaches us what it looks like to live in God's house in terms of the way you treat your enemies. Jesus teaches us how you look at the opposite sex when you're living in God's house. Jesus teaches us um, the, the way that we view church when we're living in his house. That, that however, the way we, how everything changes and we begin to live these different lives because we are living under God's house where Jesus is the son over the whole thing. So he is our apostle. He's also, the text says, our high priest. Um, one of the stories and themes of your Bible is that holiness matters to God. That God is perfect and we are not. And if you're doing the math, that creates a problem, right? God is holy. God is perfect. We are not. We are sinners. It creates a problem. Sin must be dealt with. And as our high priest, Jesus deals with our sin. He forgives our sin through the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus becomes our substitutionary atonement. He substitutes himself in our place. He dies in our place so that we can go into the home. We can go into the house and have God be our God and we be his people. We can be a part of God's family. And he is a great high priest. He is faithful. That we often talk in church about our faithfulness to God. Think for a moment about Jesus, the man walking this earth. I want you to think about his faithfulness to the task. The faith that it took to live his life. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted just as we are, yet he was perfect. He sets a perfect example, even though he was tempted. That requires faith. You, you, you uh, think about walking around the earth when you used to live in heaven. <laughs> right? It requires faith. Going to the cross requires faith. Dealing with his 12 apostles required faith. And he was faithful. So the writer of Hebrews will say this means two things for us. It means, first of all, that Jesus is worthy of honor in a way that Moses is not worthy of honor, right? Moses is worthy of respect. He was a great servant, but Jesus is worthy of our worship and our honor and our praise because he is our example, our teacher, our high priest, our forgiver, and he does it all perfectly. He is the son sustaining the universe, keeping over all things. He is worthy of all of our praise, the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, we studied that last week. But in this text, he says, you want to know what else Jesus is worthy of? He's worthy of your confidence. The point of, Jesus, the point of Hebrews is that he would be lifted up so that our confidence is lifted up. The writer of Hebrews is addressing a group of people, Jewish Christians, who are losing their confidence in Jesus. 
that they are being subjected to false teachings. They are being persecuted. They are being pressured by family members to leave the faith. Their confidence is low. Their confidence is shrinking. Is, is shrinking. Is yours? How is your confidence in Jesus today? Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where he's leading. I don't know why this is happening. There is a part of you here today, you wonder, is there a God? And if there is a God, does he love me? Is he really moving? Does he have a plan? If he has a plan, is it good? And starting in verse seven of chapter three, he tells this story to encourage you. So let me encourage you with it. The people of Egypt have left slavery and they're walking in the desert toward the promised land. And they get into the desert. And this is gonna show you how hard I studied this week. They get into the desert and it's hot. I studied multiple commentaries to share that truth with you right now. Right. They get in there and they're, they're, they're hot and they're walking in the heat, in the desert, and they start to grumble. And they wonder, does God love us? Does God have a plan for us? If God does have a plan for us, is it good? And they start to think, say things like, crazy things like, maybe God led us into the desert to kill us. And they start to say things like, maybe we should turn around and go back to slavery. I mean, Egypt really wasn't that bad. And they ended up walking in the desert for a long time because they couldn't find their confidence again. And we know we have this wonderful luxury. We get to read the Bible from the back to the front. And it's a really cool thing, right? Um, we, we get to see things in, in retrospect. And so because we read the Bible that way, we understand as Joshua unfolds and as the rest of the story unfolds, we understand God was leading them someplace good. God had a plan all along. And as you read the Bible, I don't know if you ever feel this way. I do all the time. You want to scream into the page, Israel, don't give up. Hang on. God has a plan for you. It is so good. You're not going to believe where he's leading you, but you can't give up. And the difficulty of reading the Bible is we can't do that for them. Those events have already happened. And if you're anything like me, you really do want to do that. It's like, Israel, stop grumbling. Stop complaining. God has a plan for you. He's not done yet. He's leading you to the promised land. It's filled with milk and honey. It is so good. You're not going to believe where he's leading you, but we can't do that for them. But you know what the writer of Hebrews says? The writer of Hebrews says we can do that for each other. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Jesus is over the whole house he is our leader, he is our Lord, and he is leading us someplace good. And sometimes we need each other to remind one another of that truth, that he is good. He does have a plan. He is leading you somewhere incredible. And if your faith won't allow that right now, you can borrow someone's next to you. 
You can borrow their faith. The Bible says encourage one another daily so we don't get deceived like they got deceived. So we don't give up and give in and miss the blessing altogether because one of the goals of the writer of Hebrews is that, did you catch that terminology? That we would hold our convictions until the very end. That we would hold our convictions till the very end. And so I know some of you are discouraged. I know some of you are doubting. I know some of you, your confidence is low and your anxiety is high. Today, I just want to remind you of what I wish I could have reminded the Hebrews of way back in the Old Testament, the, the, the Israelites. He's good. And he's leading you someplace good. But we have to hold our convictions to the very end. And I, um, I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. And I know that rarely, uh, rarely it ever, it ever makes sense. Can I tell you um, like a personal story real quick? And I'll, I'll kind of praise my wife for a minute. I didn't, this isn't actually in my notes. And so I didn't tell her I was going to tell this story. <clears throat> um, but uh, we'd been waiting, we'd been waiting for our daughter for two years. Um, we waited, we waited for Sam for nine months. Um, we waited for our second child for two years. And uh, there came a time at the, towards the end uh, of last year, getting towards the fall, um, where I was discouraged. And I was doubting, and I didn't know what God was doing, and I didn't know why we were waiting. I was in my 40s. I would prayed specifically that I'd still be in my 30s when I had my second child. It just wasn't happening. And so I, I said to Cheryl, we, we, our two years came up. Every two years, you have to renew your home study. And I, I came to her and said, I think we should give up. I really do. I, 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 th- I think we should just be done. Um, you know, maybe the one we've got is going to take all we got type of thing. And, yeah, you know, um, l- l- you know l- l- let's, just, let's just be done sort of thing. And she did what Hebrews describes here. And she encouraged me not to give up. And she said, you know, and I think she probably at times wanted to give up too, but she, she said, we should not give up. And I am so grateful God used her to encourage me. Because it was just a few weeks later after we renewed our home study. Our home study wasn't even renewed yet that Lila came. And so sometimes we just need to be reminded. I know you don't know what he's doing. But I promise you he's doing something. And I promise you it's good. So hold on. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't allow your discouragement to to cause you to throw in the towel. You stay faithful to what God has asked you to do. I don't know what that is, but you probably do. You stay faithful, and I can't wait to see where God is leading you this, this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Um I know as this text is unfolding, uh, that the ultimate truth is found uh about this in heaven, that you are leading us someplace good. But man, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truths before that about how you're leading and guiding and directing and you're trying to take us to these places um, that, that result in good, good that you have in store for those that love you. And God, I just want to pray for this room. I know um, there's probably a lot of people here discouraged, confidence is low, thinking about giving up, thinking about giving up on you because we just don't see what you're doing. Help us to remain faithful. Help us to remain faithful to you and that we would put one foot in front of the other knowing in confidence that you are leading us somewhere.
Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, I'm going to be up here. Uh, I'm going to try to get out of your way. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be up here and I'd, I'd love to pray with you. Um, if you're discouraged, if your confidence is low, you don't know what's going on. Um, I get that, but God knows. So I, I'd love to pray with you as we sing this song.